Welcome to the Cinematologist Podcast. Is Dario here, welcoming you to part two of our Sight and Sound Greatest Films of All Time poll special. Wow, that was a mouthful. In case you didn't get enough of a cinematologist-style deconstruction of the results of the poll, which of course only comes out every uh, 10 years and has now just been released under great fanfare at the um, launch party last night, which I was uh, lucky enough to attend. Today we've got two more conversations on the list. The first is with Isabel Stevens, who is the managing editor of Sight and Sound. I spoke to her around lunchtime on the day of the publication, so it was great to get a little bit of that nervous energy, I think, that the whole Sight and Sound editorial team were likely feeling, and which definitely sort of translated to the evening as the as the countdown took place. Isabel was really forthcoming on both the logistics and for want of a better word, the politics of surrounding the list this time with the expanded number of critics who were invited to participate. I think one of the interesting stats that came up last night was that I think over 3,000 critics had been approached and 1,600 responded. So interesting to break that down and, and maybe think about why people were not participating beyond reasons of, say, you know, time or interest, but how many critics actually just chose not to participate as a as a rejection of lists generally. Actually, if anybody's listening who was invited but didn't participate in the poll, then please get in touch because I'd love to talk to you. Isabel also put the 2022 list in historical context and spoke about it with regards to the relationship to Sight and Sound magazine and the more artistic branch, let's say, of film culture in the UK. And she also took us through her really interesting list. And then I spoke to our good friend, Savina Petkova, who took us through her love-inspired list. And what was interesting as well about sort of contextualizing that chat was this idea about the knowledge that this is going to sit on a website and, you know, it's something you're going to be judged for and does that actually impact on the selections that you make. So we certainly hope that with these two episodes, you've got a full cinematologist hit when it comes to um, this particular event in, uh, in cinema culture. And just to say thanks to everybody involved who have made it possible for us to put these two um, episodes together. So let's get into these conversations. This is me talking to Isabel Stevens, Managing Editor of Sight and Sound Magazine. So I'm delighted to welcome Isabel Stevens, the managing editor of Sight and Sound magazine to the podcast to discuss the list that's about to come out. Welcome, Isabel. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, very happy to be on here. It's a podcast that I listen to um, quite a fair bit. Oh, great. That's uh, It's always nice to know, you know, as podcasters, we like a little bit of affirmation. Um, so this is a big day for you. I mean, just to say it's it's kind of 12 o'clock and the list is going to come out at 7pm this evening. So thanks very much for, for taking this time. There seems to be a lot of pressure on this one. How are you feeling? <laughs> um, excited uh, and yeah, maybe a little nervous just because in the age of social media, you know, there's going to be a million different takes on yeah. this. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we, it's a really, really interesting list. And I, yeah, I'm just really excited to see see kind of how it goes down. Yeah, well, I think we'll we'll discuss some of the big headlines, you know, the obvious big he- headline in, in a little bit and what might be some of the reactions to that. But I was just wondering, you know, your role is man- managing editor at Sight & Sound. What what do you do with then in relation to the to the list? Of course. Um, so I joined Sight and Sound about fifteen years ago, and I worked on the twenty twelve poll, and I was quite heavily involved in the sort of organisational side of that. Gotcha. And it was quite a different beast back then, in that we didn't have an online voting system, so people would email in their 
votes and then they would be collected in a spreadsheet and then we would do lots of um, spreadsheety stuff. Right. You might be able to guess that I don't really know a lot about spreadsheets, but I <laughs> swatted up for that. Um, and yeah, so I worked on that poll and then I worked on this poll. And so for the 2012 poll, we had big discussion about you know, how we were going to approach it. And there was um, a general consensus among the editorial team that we needed to widen it out and that, uh, you know, there'd been huge changes in the film criticism industry due to the um, sort of all the changes at newspapers and critics losing their jobs. Mm. And there was also a general sense that we needed to have a sort of wider pool of people that... The film experts weren't necessarily all film critics. You might be academic. Um, or podcasters. Podcasters, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, that's obviously the case even more so in, you know, 10 years on. So, you know, we have, again, widened the voting pool, uh, doubled it. Sure. In, I mean, indeed, how, how much is that, though, just about numbers? And then how much is the discussion about the agenda of who you're going to pick, whether that's around issues like gender or race or even things like age or nation because I think you know you can expand the numbers but then having a discussion about what the demographic is going to be is then going to have an impact you would you would think on, on the outcome and I think it definitely has done in various ways for yeah. this list. Well I'm gonna uh <laughs> <laughs> raise one question with what you say and yeah. that we can't control who does the poll we right. can only control who we invite gotcha. so we have obviously invited we you know in 2012 we invited a huge sort of hugely wider pool and again we've done this time and um, we've been really careful I guess to go out and really think about the the world out there film culture and to make sure that yeah we're representing podcasters we're make sure we're representing you know, maybe people on YouTube and you know sort of all different sort of areas where cinephilia can kind of creeps to now yeah um and i suppose also we you know have thought kind of long and hard about what does it mean to be a film expert when i joined sight and sound you know it was very much the case that you were old to, to have a view a proper view on film yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. i think that's absolutely not to say that like you know if you've watched a lot of films of course you know you have um, a lot of knowledge and expertise. Um, but I think what's been really interesting in the last 10 years is the discussions around personal experience. And I guess I often think about like the films that chime with me and they do have often, like they correlate with when I saw them in my life. And a film that I saw when I was in my 20s will chime with me very differently to one that I see now, one that I rewatch now. Absolutely. And I think... For me, the sort of key criteria is, are you curious? And of course, you know, you have to have seen films and talk about them intelligently. But I think, yeah, I mean, we just had a, a sort of real desire to be more broadly representative of, yeah, wider yeah. film culture. I guess that, that philosophy of moving away, say, from the idea of objective expertise because again we can have a, com a conversation about what expertise is exactly um, but that's obviously one element of it and you could say you know whether people are critics or they're academics or they're curators or they're archivists or producers whatever they all represent different avenues of expertise exactly. right yeah. but expertise is still the thing isn't it in some ways but then you have to like you say you're kind of tempering that with the notion of of subjectivity and and what floats your boat and intuition those kind mm, of things yeah and it's interesting how i mean i'll just repeat that you said the voters this comes from your press release the voters were were asked to interpret greatest as they um in the way that they want so to reflect the film's importance in cinematic history its aesthetic achievement or perhaps its personal impact in their own life and their view of cinema so i i just wondered with that in mind how much does sight and sound see the list in terms of its place in film history and maybe the responsibility it has in defining the canon or it, 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 are we at a moment now where even sort of sight and sound in publishing this kind of goes, this is just a snapshot of what people think, you know, in 2022? Uh, I think that's the case, yeah. This is a snapshot of film culture in 2022. Yeah. But I would also say that we're going to publish tonight a top 100 list. And in my view, ranking films is a little bit silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. And, and I also, you know, I would say like, in kind of future months, we're going to publish a top 250, top 500, maybe from the list. And, you know, that you can, people can sort of take from our poll what they want. I think it's a great 
jumping in point for anyone who's more curious about cinema, you know, they can find, you know, it's a sort of journey of discovery for a lot of people. And, you know, even for me, it will be too. Um, I think, you know, that's kind of the joy of it, that for anybody, it can act like that. Mm. Yeah, I think there's some reticence to saying that this is the canon. And, um, you know, that that's partly, yeah, I think that's always been the case. But particularly over the last 10 years, we've had lots of discussions about the canon and maybe how biased it is. And I think the, sort of uh, the idea of a canon is very unfashionable. Mm. But it also does serve a purpose, doesn't it? Because if to have consensus around certain films means that people watch them and in mm. the age of you know streaming and sort of this content era and the, you know the attention economy like how much is sort of cinema slipping from view you, you worry a little bit about it sometimes don't you yeah and i think that you know this list provides a great moment for cinema and you know like cinema as art really is what we're saying yeah um to be in the spotlight yeah I think all of that is is very true and it's interesting you know at the point that this comes in terms of criticism's relationship to things like social media. So it's not just the idea that, you know, over the last 10 years, the publishing industry has changed, particularly when it comes to film criticism. And now, you know, if you've just got a website, then you're a, you're a critic. So it's interesting, again, how, you know, those those kinds of discussions about where where the list sits in this moment in film culture is is really interesting. And the idea of list culture itself is, is something that's that's under discussion. We seem to have gone through that kind of BuzzFeed era and we're coming out of the end of it now where people are realising that actually lists have been used as just a sort of digital space filler. Yeah, I mean, they're clickbait, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Like, and I think, but then I think also maybe people appreciate when a list is done really well and it stands out. I mean, like, so lists that I enjoy, I really enjoy Anne Bilson's lists in The Guardian. I think they're they're great. For sure. Um, Whereas like, say, you know, there was one piece, maybe it was like the Vulture Romantic Comedies mm. list or something, and yeah, it yeah, yeah. you know didn't have any older films on, and you know everyone's up in arms about it, and yeah, mm. this is just <laughs> done for outrage, yeah, yeah, isn't yeah. it? I know, and and, and you're you're probably going to get some of that yourself, <laughs> so you know, with this list, because even you know even with the sort of uh, the methodology that we're we're talking about, there's still going to be kind of like, well, how can that be? You know, especially when we're we're talking about what's what's on the list particularly at number one I mean, like, yeah and like i say we'll, we'll so we'll, do you think number one is controversial well i have an interesting take on the shifts that have taken place in mm. the round right i'm going to call this the agnes varda chantelle ackerman claire denis axis right <laughs> so and, and this to me is really interesting in the way that film culture throws up kind of almost mathematical anomalies so uh, you can tell me if you agree with this then because because i think that chantelle ackerman essentially has one, I mean, all right, there's two films in the, in the list, but there's one film she's really, really known for, which is Jan Dillman, right? But then you look at Claire Denis and you look at Agnes Varda, mm-hmm. and you could argue that Agnes Varda has, has had more of a kind of public reevaluation in the last 10 years. Yes. But she's got more films that are considered classics. Yeah. So therefore, so her, so her the vote votes split. are split. Yeah. And the same with Claire Denis. I mean, I think mm-hmm. Beautrevai is considered her, her masterpiece more than others, but... People vote for lots of Claire Denis films. So therefore, kind of that film, Jean Dielman, mm-hmm. I think is, is number one because of some of those reasons, as much as a great film that it is, you know? Yeah, I mean, for me, I don't know. I feel like that film is does definitely deserve its number one spot. Right, and okay. I think that it... And actually, I think it's just so interesting when you think about like what a great film is, like you're not thinking about it so much subjectively, like you're really thinking about, okay, this is a film that changed cinematic language that, you know, makes us think about cinema in different ways. Absolutely. Um, This film does that. And so that's why I'm so happy that, plus obviously, you know, as a journalist, we've got a story here. (laughs) Of course. Yeah, you know, it's great. It's great for that, certainly. (laughs) And again, the other sort of criticism that potentially could come, I think, is the idea that, yes, in one sense, this is great, say, for... You know, there's two women filmmakers in the top 10. Number one now is a woman filmmaker. So you could kind of say that there is, there has been a sea change, let's say, in in what you've done in terms of the di- diversity of the list. But then on the other hand, you could say, well, wh- what kind of a movie is it? It's a high modernist, difficult film. You know, you could, uh, you could argue, you know, I mean, again, you're making a face there. So you argue <laughs> against that. It's, you know, in some ways, it, what does that say about the ex- the expertise element is still potentially you know maybe you could argue excluding a lot of film lovers who would just look at that film and go well 
three-hour-plus exactly. film about yeah. a woman. Yeah, you know, peeling potatoes. And stuff. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no, I, I take your point. I made a face when you said it was difficult because actually I think it does do a lot of, uh, you know, it is really suspenseful, for mm. example. Um, but yeah, it does require maybe a different kind of mode of film watching. And I think, um, but I think that's really good. I think it's exactly the kind of film that I'm glad that has topped our poll and that we as a magazine, as, you know, an institute can say that this is the kind of cinema that exists out there and, you know, come and find it. And also, this is a film that you have to see in a cinema. Like, it really doesn't work at home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in the same way, obviously, you know, you can watch it at home. Um, but also, it's, you know, it's been quite hard to see. It's not, um, you know, I don't think it's available on DVD in this country, for no, example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you can get it, I think, on Criterion in the um, in the States. And yeah, I mean, it's not a film that's on regularly at cinemas. It's a bit of an event when it's on, which again, yeah. I think kind of adds to that sense of it being an occasion of being a great film. Um, and that's possibly, you know, part of the reason why mm. it's it's got this um, kind of mystique around it. And I think, you know, Agnes Varda's films are amazing. As you said, she's made so many and it's quite hard. I, I had to think like, okay, I definitely want to pick an Agnes Varda film on my list. Right. And also it's interesting that actually in our director's poll, the Varda film that consensus is collected around is actually Vagabond. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. Cleo and yeah. uh, the Gleaners. And I, yeah, I find that interesting for, mm. for different reasons. Although um, Neil went for Faces Places, which I uh, quizzed ooh, him on. Interesting. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> um, yeah, no, for me, Gleaners is, her, yeah, that's that's the one that I think is the greatest. Right. What are some of the the other interesting aspects of the changes that have taken place for for you? I mean, we were discussing, like, say, for example, you know, we talk about female filmmakers going up, but then the first black directed film is twenty four, I think, which yep. is the Spike Lee. Do the right thing, you yep. know, and then you know, entries in of newer films, say, like Portrait of a Lady on Fire or Moonlight, which are interesting. How these films have and Parasite as well have. have now started to be suggested as as being contemporary classics, let's say. Or, or I mean, for you again, any other things that, that struck you when you saw the list? Yeah, I mean, I suppose the the recent contemporary films was a big shock to me when I saw it. I, mm. you know, wasn't really expecting consensus to collect around those so, you know, so quickly. Mm. Um, what else did I... I mean, I love the fact that we've got an animation in the list. I voted for My Neighbor Totoro. I right. love the fact that that's in there. I think that, you know, animation has been mm. undervalued. And Spirited Away. No, and Spirited yeah. Away, yes, exactly. So two yeah. Miyazaki films. Uh, you know, if I was doing the top 100, I probably would have put, Gabe, you know, Totoro and Graves of, Grave of the Fireflies in. Um, but nice to have two Ghibli films in there. Um, and, you know, and I, with Totoro, I love the fact that there's a film that, a great film that anyone of any age mm. can watch. Whereas I think, you know, most great films, they're generally for adults, aren't they? Or at least sort yeah, of teenagers yeah, yeah. plus. Yeah. So for me, that's really important. Um, and yeah, just to have a sort of different facet of the art form recognised sure. in the list. So that's where I think sort of, you know, a, the, the canon comes in and it's like, mm. okay, yes, this is this is a canon. This is good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we've expanded, you know, there's been an expansion. I mean, it's interesting because I, th I think that we were, we were talking in the first part of, uh, of the podcast um, about how radical is this? Is this radical or, or not? Because, and whether it needs to be or not, mm. you know? It's it's an interesting question because a lot of the film, you know, like Citizen Kane, Vertigo are still in the top, still in the top ten, exactly. two thousand and one. They're still I mean, great. Um, and and so that 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 sense of are these films even when you widen the, the diversity of the of the pool of, of people submitting, certain films are still come, you know, certain they directors come back to, as well have and come directors, up. Yeah, so yeah. there's an interesting statistic which I'm just going to find now that I dug out. Yeah, so in 2012, the top 100 films were made by just 53 directors. Right. That feels quite strange to me. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's just been so much consensus around these grand figures that they've got these aura, you know, these auras around them, mm. that there's, you know, this myth. And I think it's a great thing now that there's more directors in the poll. So I think now, this time around, the films um, are created by 69 filmmakers. So there's still quite a few filmmakers with two or more films in the list, sure. which I think are Hitchcock and Goddard are the ones with most. Mm. So yeah, I mean, for me, that's that's a really good development. And again, like <clears throat> I'd say, you know, point beyond the top 100 and just say like, you know, if you're gathering a canon, like let's put, let's think about it as the top 500, you know, cinema has sure. been going for a long time of now. Course. Let's yeah, yeah. maybe, you know, what I would say would be a good 
uh, approach to it would like take the top 500, put them in a hat every week, you know, you know, bring one out and watch them rather than necessarily thinking of them as kind yeah. of ranked. Considering that obviously sight and sound is this position historically in British film culture that there are so few British films on the list. Well, I think obviously this is an international poll. You know, we ask a lot of people from all around the world. And so I think British cinema is probably, you know, how many films from sort of Australia mm. are there and how many films from Africa, an entire continent are there yeah, in the yeah, poll yeah. too. Great that there's two because yeah. there was one last time. There should be more. Yeah. You know, that's that's people's blind spots. Um, I think if you look beyond the top 100, you'll see more. Um, there are, I think, what, there's one fewer, I think, than last time around. Don't Look Now, I don't think is in the top 100, which, you know, feels like a kind of oversight to me at the same time. You know, it's it's definitely represented in the list. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. You know, let's not fixate too much on the, the top <laughs> No, 100. no, no, not at all. I mean, it's just an interesting thing, I think, that where does any, you know, if you consider... If you acknowledge that there are bias towards Amer- European and North American film cultures, yes, you know American and French are going to be much higher than 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 British, you know, mm-hmm. and even other, you know, even Germany and and Italy and and yeah. these kinds of places are higher than Britain. So it's just an interesting question about where British yeah. film culture well, I think is in true. the perspective. Yeah, you know? and Eastern European film culture. I mean, it's nice to see daisies in the list, but I would have yeah, thought yeah, yeah. that there would have be been more, more yeah. of that too. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's nice to see, say, like close up. In the oh, top, yes, yeah, great <laughs> film. Um, in the top twenty this time, that film's risen up. But again, yeah. like you know, films from sort of, and I suppose you know there are there's greater representation of films from Asia for sure, yeah. which is which is good. Um, but yeah, there's still just yeah, you're not going to satisfy everything. It's no, going to be impossible, exactly. you know. And I think I think I mean I went back to your sort of question about whether this is radical or not. I mean, it is radical. I think the <clears throat> having. The more recent films like Portrait, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Moonlight, Get Out. Well, that is radical. But then also look at 1952, where you had films that had just been released that had come through and, you know, so in in, in the top 10. So it's maybe not that radical in the tradition of the poll either. It's, yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. kind of interesting to think about. And I actually, when I was voting, I mean, my sort of instinct and how I've kind of always thought about cinema is that, yeah, you've got to let a masterpiece kind of gestate. You you, you can't call it straight away. Um, and then I came across somebody who voted in our poll and I can't remember who it was. I think it was a critic for Variety who said that, like, <clears throat> a, it is a critic's responsibility if you're living in the here and now to shine a light on the great recent films too. And that did really stay with me, actually. Yeah, and I sort of point. thought, like, yeah, that that is our purpose as well. Like, mm. you know, to try and so I did try in my list to have a kind of range of uh, different decades. Do you want to go through your list now? Just give us oh, your your ten goodness. with the directors because I've asked everyone who I've interviewed, so you okay. can't get out of it either. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I mean, obviously, with the disclaimer that there are loads yeah. that were missing. Um, I start off. Did I? Oh, I did put them in in chronological order. Well done, me. Um, the General, Buster Keaton, just a classic. Nothing more to be said about that one. Um, and I picked two comedies. And okay. So because I oh, think Neil that, will be happy because we, okay. we were, we were talking Neil about co- to, co- co- comedies. You'd have a chat with him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, comedy for me is traditionally undervalued as, as a great film. Uh, so, yeah, pick that. Uh, to Be or Not To Be, Ernst Lubitsch's films. Lubitsch is somebody who, yeah, just a filmmaker that I adore. And I think, and I think that film as well shows the breadth of what a comedy can do. You know, it's and for people who don't know, it's um, set during World War Two, uh, and it manages to be sort of incredibly inventive comically, but also very tragic. Um, Tokyo Story. Um, agree. Hard agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, La Jetée, Chris Marker's huh? uh, film, uh, and yeah, again, it's just I think yeah, it just does something very dreamlike and uh, meditative and. Um, also important to have a short film, I think, in your list. Sure. Um, <clears throat> Days of Heron, Heaven, Terence Malick. Oh, right. Great. Yeah, I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, My Neighbor Totoro, Miyazaki, Studio Ghibli. Uh, the Gleaners and I, Agnes Varda. I thought that that is a film that really speaks to today and also encapsulates cinema at a turning point um, for me. And also I really wanted to have uh, documentaries on my list. Yeah. Um, the Headless Woman, Lucretia Martel's film, I think oh, is wow. okay. yeah, yeah no, that's great. one of the best, most recent films. And 
yeah, I just, I love her cinema. Mm. I love the the cinematic language that she uses and how the, yeah, the crazy woozy kind of mm. headspace that you're in during that film. And then Nostalgia for the Light, Patricio Guzman's oh film. Oh my God, I love that movie. That, that's <laughs> in my, that was one of the ones that would be in my sort of top 20, top 30. Yeah. 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 We've talked, we've done an episode on it. It's just Oh, great. great. I'll have to listen to that. Uh, yeah, no, I just think that film's uh, fantastic. And again, like a documentary, but mm. I mean, when you say documentary, yeah, people yeah, will yeah. think Poetic, one thing. But philosophical. Exactly, you know. yeah. And then my um, film, most recent film that I picked was Timbuktu, um, which is oh, Sisako's yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, film, which I think mainly just because of that sequence of mm. the silent, um, the, the football scene without the ball. Yeah. Uh, I just absolutely adore that film. And that is a bit of a personal choice too, because I saw it in Cannes. It was my first Cannes and I uh, saw it there and it just had such a mm. massive impact on me. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just thought also as well, it, it didn't win anything in Cannes that year. No. And I felt like <clears throat> it's important. Yeah, it was an important yeah. film to kind of shine a little yeah. bit of a light on. So uh, like the, the I talk, obviously spoke, spoken to Neil and uh, Savina Petkova, who's who's uh, contributed a, a list as well. And we all said that we'd created a list that was complimentary. So it's like there's a 10, like an album, you know what I mean? And, and yes. so you've, you've done, you seem to have done the same as well. You know, one documentary, one couple yeah. of comedies, But then I didn't, animation. yeah, there was so many things I missed. I wanted to put a music on it. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But you <laughs> had that in mind out. though, is what I'm saying, that there was yes. something about the set of 10 that, that yeah. needs to be coherent in a way. Uh, yeah, I wanted, I, uh, what I would have really liked to have is some kind of criteria. I love it when you see a list and you think, oh, that person's, you know, really yeah, thought yeah. about, for them, what's really unique about cinema. Um, like uh, Apachat Pong, Verisetical's uh, list in our director's poll 10 yeah. years ago. And he says, these are my 10 ghosts. And right. you just sort of think, oh, wow, that's yeah, 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 just yeah, yeah. fantastic. What does that mean? What does that mean? Like, what kind of cinema are you picking here? And uh, yeah, and um, I didn't really do that, but I... Yeah, as soon as I started to go down one avenue, I was like, oh my God, but then I forget about this film and, and things like that. So, sure. Yeah. Well, thanks very much for your time, Isabel. Good luck this evening. And uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. No, oh, thank you. So welcome, Savina. Thanks very much for coming on again. Thank you, Dario. I'm super happy. And ever since you suggested this as a possibility, I've been looking forward to bragging about my amazing list. <laughs> Which is a very good list. And we'll, we're, that's what we're going to talk about, obviously. Probably not um, very popular, but we never go for the popular ones, don't no, we? No, but I think you've got, you've kind of hit the nail on the head with uh, with some of the films. I mean, Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and what's interesting, I think, we'll come to this, but... I think some of your selections are some of the ones that are new entries, whereas I've picked stuff that I think is, was going to be on there anyway. That, so that that's interesting. A, oh, yeah, I think we already had this a similar conversation yeah, regarding yeah, yeah. this because I told you that one of my, uh, you know, driving, yeah, logistical mm. decisions that I made compiling that list after maybe two weeks of fretting <laughs> how to approach this and should I do it or should I just not do it, um, I decided to just go for films that... I don't think that many people are going to pick mm. or and also include some stuff that are relatively unknown just so they have a shot. Right. And I remember we talked about this from, from that point of view and he said, OK, but what about the other films? What if everyone thinks that the big names won't get in and mm. they don't get in at the end? So we, we went on to like... Um, interesting philosophical conundrum about <laughs> if the film is not picked does it exist anymore <laughs> yeah, yeah i mean we'll, we'll we'll talk about that in in terms of the function lists serve and and what function this particular list seems to 
have been associated with in terms of the diversification of the the critics and you mean this this decade this, list. yeah this this particular you know the 2022 version that's that's just come out but we're keen to get your perspective you know the female perspective the bulgarian perspective <laughs> tokenism um, the 20 somethings <laughs> a- angle yeah no no not tokenism no, at of all but not. you know it's no, yeah. uh, i think it's it's interesting and if you can if you sort of compare the way that neil and i chose to like you say when we discussed before is it just purely subjective is there an aspiration towards films that you could make an argument for as being the greatest in some some kind of objective criteria but before we get to that were you surprised to be asked were you excited is sign is the sign sound poll something that's been on your radar for a, for a long time how seriously do you take it um well these are many questions and I have very <laughs> conflicting answers to all of them. But um, as a person who's uh, worked as a critic uh, semi-professionally and now like almost fully professionally for four years, um, I don't think of myself as established or a name or anything. And I've never written for Sign and Sound yet, yet. Hopefully that's in the, fu- in the cards for the future. Who knows? Um, but yeah, of course, I, I I hold sight and sound in super high regard. Even if I didn't grow up here, I didn't grow up reading it or being near to it. It's still, um, I always get surprised when I ask, get asked for stuff. <laughs> you know, this cumulative um, assignments that journalists are asked for for some people. For most people, I guess, it's just the regular things. Mm. Even end of year lists or some sort of compendiums, everything is just yeah one more thing to deal with, a lot of work on my plate, etc. And so many people, I guess, they expected to get asked for these for this decade, um, and I was super surprised. I was absolutely, I was like, some some of the people that are <laughs> that have been employed to kind of get the word out there for the for the poll really did their homework. If they invited me, you know, don't, not many Bulgarians have been historically asked to contribute to this film, so I feel quite okay with that. I'm very happy. Yeah, I was I was very happy to be asked, but I do have a very I don't know I don't know how to say it. it's a complicated relationship with lists in yeah, general. Yeah, I mean, we, we were talking about that. I mean, is, is it because you know they tend to skew a certain way because of the historically the people who are asked tend to be male critics and no matter how much you try to have a diverse body of people contributing to it it's not just about the gender balance say or the racial balance or anything like that there is a sort of tendency to lean in terms of expertise and education towards a certain type of type of film i mean what's your complicated relationship to lists because neil and i talked about that in the first part yeah i really can't wait to to listen to everything that you talk to as well but i think all of these aggregators they they have a really good purpose and they're built for a good purpose and it's supposed to be in many ways and to distill some sort of respective value it's very scientific the way that we approach these kinds of lists and numbers and cracking them down and getting out a statistic out of it it's fun to see fun to read i guess um now fun to make when it's all the ai that kind of aggregates it all i guess but when it comes to lists i my problem is with the way that they make me feel when i'm supposed to compile one you know, uh, this, I see. this inward feeling of performativity that i feel like it's i have to tackle so many questions that i just can't not i can't ignore them because i always think of the way that it's it gonna look the way that I want to make myself look if, if I go against that it's also means that I'm being contrarian so there's so many facets of this performativity that I just want to escape so that's why I was even considering not submitting anything because right. it was just such a deadlock for me um, and one of my favorite texts in film criticism and in writing in general is Elena Gorfinkel's Against Lists yeah, yeah, which yeah, you yeah. published on Another Gaze and I pro- I'm sure you talked about yeah, it yeah we did yeah um, and this is in my mind, you know, I, 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 I work, I mean, I work in the same place as Elena and I get to see her often and every time I see her and even when I'm confronted with any sort of lists, it's, it's in my head, like a voice reading out loud mm. her work. Um, and I completely agree. So it was, um, it was a very tough decision how to approach it and how to do it. But I feel like if you've been asked to do it and you have the choice to do it and you have the voice, it's good to use the voice and to put the voice to whatever good use, whatever you deem good use. So everyone is left with their own individual decisions 
right. how to approach it. So what was your your rationale? How you know where, where was the balance between you know recognition that everything is subjective? You're looking at a love or an appreciation of films that obviously move you in some way, but how much of it was that you had some kind of criteria that you could perhaps argue that these are the greatest films of all time? Or is that, you know, we just, is that phrase just almost a headline to get people, you know, to kind of make people pay attention rather than anybody takes that seriously? Yeah, I, I think so too. It's kind of like trying to think through infinity, you know, your brain cannot really handle it. So I just decided to, to bracket this and just not deal with the idea of greatest of all time. But, you know, I tried to split it into kind of keywords and time for me was quite crucial. So I, I, I worked through <laughs> a little system <laughs> in the scope of a whole week <laughs> to kind of um, go from a very long list of films, like a super, super long film sure. list, maybe 100 or 150 titles. I love lots, lots of films. <laughs> I find lots of films absolutely great. But then I had to narrow it down to things that I really, really feel strongly connected with because that's always going to be uh, a main drive for me. Emotional connection, feeling moved in whatever way. doesn't have to be positive emotion, could be negative. Um, and the films I'm a sucker for are love stories. And they could take any shape or form. It doesn't have to be uh, male-female or human-to-human, not in any way. So... That kind of evolved naturally, I think, when I started slimming down the list. But for me, it was quite important to include films from almost every decade. Okay. I didn't manage to go through all of them, but I tried to cover as many. So I had to dive a little bit um, yeah, further back. And my expertise is not in early cinema or classical even, um, or the 70s. Lots of people know it much better than I do. I specialize in contemporary. So for me, lots of the films that I find, I think are really, really great come from the last 20 years, which for a list like this doesn't really seem to work. So I was thinking, yeah, if it were, if I was true to myself yeah, and my expertise, I would probably go for films made in the last few years, but that's not fair. So it was like a constant back and forth. What's interesting about that again in the contemporary sense but then also in the films that you've chosen well, I'll get you to read them out in a second because you can know when, you, when you're thinking about this that there are going to be certain films that lots of people will, will vote for so therefore if you yourself pick films that maybe only you will vote for that's not going to have an imprint on the overall hundred if you see what I mean so it's almost kind of like do I kind of push films up that I think have got a chance of getting in the 100 or do I just completely ignore that and this is my 10 and if nobody else picks them, that's fine? Uh, I feel like this kind of labor, (laughs) this mental labor cost me a lot (laughs) trying to figure out like, oh, which are the films are going to be recognized, whatever. Um, And I know that probably maybe one or two of the films that I chose, no one else. Or no one that I can think of because, you know, there was a big scope this year. So I I have no way of knowing. Mm. But, you know, films that are relatively unknown, I did push um, one or two. Definitely. And I felt good about it because I was like, okay, if I have to be true to myself, this means something to me. Mm. So I'm I'm just going to put it in. I think it's a great film. And even if my list get published somewhere and someone gets to read the list, if it's a person that takes lists seriously which i am not (laughs) if people lots of people are guided by lists to kind of go through and learn about stuff so if they end up seeing my list and see oh this film i've never heard of might as well check it you know it's it's a contamination every every print can um can matter footprint smaller as small as possible it just can matter We'll, we'll go through your list now because there's only one on there that I haven't seen, so that's going on really? my on my list to, to oh, watch. All of the other ones you've yeah, seen, I have indeed. Yeah, I must I must say I haven't seen all of the ones in yours. Oh, okay, so <laughs> well, that's I interesting because have... I thought mine was pretty. You know, it's not van- <laughs> it's not a vanilla list, but there's plenty of stuff that you know is canonical on there. I think, or yeah, currently canonical. To be fair, say. I do have a big gap on so many canonical uh, titles because I didn't grow up as um, as a cinephile. 
So I didn't have lots of access to lots of films yeah, because yeah. it was difficult back then in Bulgaria. Um, well, neither did I. I'm just old. That's the yeah, problem. <laughs> well, being able to see stuff and just being driven to things or sharing it with people helps. But yeah, since my film education came out really late, <laughs> I, I still have a lot, a lot of gaps, which worked for me, I think, good in a good way because I knew that these films that are canonical are gonna end up in the poll anyway. So that's fine. Well, that's a good thing. One of the good things about this, though, is filling in the gaps. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, that's how they're helpful, I think. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's never too late. So that's why I keep trailing myself. Yeah. Cool. So have a read through and uh, yeah, just read them out with the director as well. Okay. Should I do one, one of the other? Just do, they're in any order, aren't they? So it doesn't, yeah, you know, you I haven't ranked them. In, yeah, I think they aren't in any order. But for some of them, it was quite difficult to choose a particular film because I, I like many of the films of the same director. But uh, I just went with my gut. In the end, when I was left with shortlist, I was like, okay, I'm going to just go with the gut. So uh, all of these films I completely recommend and are absolutely gorgeous and you should all watch them. And I'm happy that Dario has seen 9 out of 10 and I think everyone should see 10 out of 10. <laughs> okay, so I'll start with uh, Camera Person by Kirsten Johnson. And I also have on the list Wanda by Barbara Loden, Elaine Mays, Mikey and Nikki which I only saw recently this year and I absolutely so loved it. I was still thinking about this film um, almost every day. <laughs> um, Neil has a new leaf on his on his top 10. Really? So he has underlined me as well. Good. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. amazing. Really good. Um, yeah. Uh, now a canonical one is Daisies by Vera Hitilova. Um, super, super important film, which I, I must admit, I didn't like it that much on the first look. Uh, but when I have revisited ever since, I've grown to absolutely like it and everything that it stands for. Mm. Uh, for Claire Denis, it was very difficult. I wanted to include a film of hers. Um, and I went through her filmography again and again and again. And Botravai is the one that really stuck with me. It's also a film that, you know, it's one of the classics, to be fair. So that has a, a chance of being yeah, in, in, uh, high yeah. on the list, for but sure. But still, I felt like it's, yeah, it's... It's everything. <laughs> um, one of the earlier earlier films that I that I, that I chose was um, even in short form, so I felt that was also good to include. And uh, Maya Darren's Atland is uh, something that we that I saw for the first time last year, actually, mm. when I was teaching Maya Darren in class at Kings. So uh, we saw this film with the students, and um, ever right. since I've been submerged in it academically, I I found that I absolutely love it, and I. I think it's super super important and i hope she gets a shout out in the tops i included is this the one that you haven't seen yeah this is the one i haven't seen <laughs> you really should and it's it's a shame because it's so difficult to find mm. uh but hopefully um there's a rest there's a restoration that's been done and um i think it also has english subtitles so it's gonna make its rounds and this is uh, binka Jelaskova's uh, the tide of balloon um it's a very very uh, it's a film that was not seen for about 30 years ever since it was it came out sure. so yeah it's a buried treasure i think <laughs> and um Yusuke hamaguchi's a happy hour that's an which is great absolute I delight i think i could just have it on repeat for the rest of my life <laughs> and this goes on you know for all hamaguchi's films i love everything that he's done um absolutely thrilled that i got the chance to go to this retrospective that was put not too long ago um in london that was absolutely great to see even his shorter and mid-length films just ah Oh, I hope he gets his films in the greatest films of all time. I mean, yeah, he's contemporary, but he's yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely yeah. No, great. No, it's great. Um, yeah, Barry Jenkins' Moonlight, because it is so perfect. It's it's one of the perfect, most perfect films made about love. And um, last but not least, probably m my favorite film of all time. <laughs> um, very close, closely tied with camera person, but it's Portrait of a Lady on Fire. That's the only one I knew that was going to be on your list. <laughs> it's so easy. It was so easy for me instantly. It's a masterclass. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. a breakthrough and it's going to be in the textbooks and we all know this is absolutely great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we talked quite a lot about that because that was a, that was one of the closest to being on my top 10 that yeah? wasn't. Yeah, it was one of the ones that was oh. kind of in and out and, and you know, there's a few was others just, like that. Just about, but did not make it. Yeah, I mean, I was wondering if there's any others like that where you were kind of like, I wish I could get that in, and, but I'm just going to have to sacrifice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think that was the Cleo from five to seven. Right. 
Yeah, okay. yeah. I absolutely adore this film. And also I was thinking about, I think, Vagabond. Okay. They were very, very close and tied in both Varda films. Sure. So it could only be one. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah of uh, economic reasons, <laughs> being economical. Uh, but I'm, I'm sure that at least one of these two films is going to get a mention right, in the top right, right. 100, hopefully. No, no. If people I, I, have taste. The, <laughs> they should. No, no, de- definitely. The, the, you know, a lot of uh, the, the films and the directors, I mean, it was, uh, are, are obviously going to be on the, uh, on the top 100. But, I mean, it, it's interesting the choice of, say, for example, somebody like Claire Denis, when you go for... Again, it's kind of like there's a, there's a tactical element to it, which is of really course, reductive because it's kind of like if you yeah. vote for um, white material or something like that, you could say, well, that's probably not going to be in the top 100. So I better go for Beau Travai. Because yeah, because it's better to have it, it's better a film have of it hers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and that also, you know, reduces it all to authorship in a way yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. i don't i don't i don't like this autorial approach of cinema i mean i've probably lacked on against it for for a while now but i just don't i don't mm. like the film filmmaking being reduced to to a singular name yeah um even if it if there is a stamp that you can recognize across films sure. etc it's just difficult yeah when we're already kind of forced to deal with this when we're making such a list of such a scope it's almost yeah, an yeah, impossible yeah, yeah, yeah. scope to contain no with, without doubt and i think what's interesting as well if if we, if we think about the diversity and more fem- female critics coming in and being asked to be to to contribute that agenda i suppose is that is the word or the the you know female Female filmmakers are going to pick more. Female critics are going to pick more female filmmakers. I, I yeah, I th- but and I'm not saying that, that there is a, a sort of Maybe. pointed politics around it. It's no, just that yeah. I think that there is a sense in which hands up. Where I, I talked to to Neil about this, there are no female-made films on my top ten. None, and it's you. Can, from my perspective, it's kind of like that's the, the my list is just intuitive. It's what I I. I've watched is important to me and has influenced me and what I think is good. There's no agenda not to have a female film filmmaker on there. And so therefore, when you invite more um, female critics in, there's, to me, there's, it, it would be, again, what's the right word? Natural, or, or it would be obvious or authentic that, you know, like on your list, there's eight female filmmakers. It happens, yeah, it happens. But, it, but, but I, but, you didn't. You didn't think I want all. You know, I want no. majority female filmmakers. I was, I was thinking at some that you, point that you, that, you, that you resonate. Yeah, with. I mean, that was one of the things I was also considering. Okay, should I make a statement out exactly. of an all-female list? That's so it's question. it's now something that you have to factor in and decide whether you want to pursue or not. And I appreciate it when people do, and I appreciate yeah, it when yeah, people yeah. don't. You know, as as the list expands, you know, the people being uh, being asked to contribute the list expands. You're gonna get a lot of male film male. Um, male film critics mm. that could put 10 female or trans or non, yeah, non, yeah, yeah, yeah. non-binary or, or you, know, you know yeah it could be a statement that's yeah, yeah. come from either gender you know and also lots of women can pick only men mm. white exactly. men even they exactly. could they could but that's the thing when you have more there's more <laughs> scope for for diversity i guess yeah 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 i get I, i'm really so i mean it's an interesting question i think that idea that there is there is a sort of there is some kind of empathy in, in watching that you know somehow that this is a female filmmaker if you're a woman or not. You know what I mean? For it's, some we, films, for some films, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. some, for for others, not really. Mm. Um, I don't know. I've been I've been making uh, making notes on this just myself as a viewer, whether I can tell. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think it usually comes down to either good or bad writing Mm. it does come down to script and probably to the way that some scenes are shot definitely Mm. too Uh, but i think for me the thing that comes across is the script so if you if you script a female protagonist or character very well i wouldn't really say oh you should be a man or a woman or or trans or whatever you know it's just it's amount Mm. to the depth that you give um and, f- and finally, I, d- I just wanted to ask, like, we-, we were talking about the idea of, of the 10 and the 10 as a body of films rather than just r- a random 10. Because Neil was sort of saying that his selections were kind of like a, you know, it's like an album where they speak to each other in some way. Okay. Um, I mean, as a curatorial task. Uh, yeah, like, for example, you've got uh, one documentary on there. You've got one comedy on there. You've got 
two or three that are from the 70s, one that's from the 60s, one that's earlier, one short, and, uh, you know, a range of different countries, for example. But you had you, you were saying that you have this, this, this theme of, you know, a broad theme of... of love really as a, as a kind yeah. of underlying thematic i think that kind of arise just uh very naturally when i was looking at the the short list and the and the 10 i was like and it was convenient to me to see the comment section yeah, yeah, yeah. come up at the very end and i didn't know there was going to be a comment section on the poll mm. so whenever that section came up i was like okay let's let's think about what what is the thing that unites them and it seems like they're all about love in mm. one way or another or the um, resistance to love, mm. that's also implied. So I feel like it's a driving force and I feel like people make films because of love for the medium and because they feel love, they've known love or they, they want to know love. Um, I think it's a very um, universal principle and it's such an easy thing to impose onto a list. <laughs> but it's also, yeah, quite the emotional list for me. It's, it's films that make me cry most of them have actually <laughs> made me cry numerous times um some of them made me laugh and um yeah lots of them have made me fall in love that's that's what emerged for me well that's a lovely place to finish thanks very <laughs> much indeed savina <laughs> my pleasure my pleasure So that is it for our double episode. If you got through to this point, you can definitely consider yourself a true cinematologist. Just a quick note to say that we also have a bonus episode out where Neil and I discuss his sabbatical that he's taken and then returning to the podcast. And, uh, you know, we get into it a little bit on the, the nature of work and life and just shoot the breeze a little bit more in a more free-flowing, unedited sense, which is what you get on the bonus podcasts. If you want to listen to that and you're not a member already, just search cinematologist podcast on the patreon website you can join for as little as two pounds a month you get access to all of our bonus content and of course you'll be supporting truly independent media just to say that our final live episode of the year will take place in london at the garden cinema in covent garden and we'll be screening the coen brothers blood simple where i'll be joined by filmmaker and producer james dean as it's one of his favorite films so if anybody's around town and wants to get a dose of live cinematologist's conversation, then we'd love to see you there. If you're not already fed up with lists, or you've decided to come around to the dark side of appreciating lists, then we'll have an end-of-year special, which we'll probably publish in between Christmas and New Year. If you're a regular listener and you haven't done already, please consider rating and reviewing us on your podcast app of choice. Particularly Apple Podcasts is, is good for spreading the word about the Cinematologist podcast. I mean, we do like to think of it as where the cool kids come to get their cinematic audio nourishment, but it really does help with the visibility, if that's the right word for an audio medium. But that's it this time. We hope you've enjoyed this double episode. This has been the Cinematologist podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.